You're listening to Living Faith, the podcast of the First Baptist Church of Avon Park, Florida. First Baptist Church is located at 100 North Lake Avenue in Avon Park, Florida. We meet Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m. for Sunday school and 10.45 a.m. for morning worship. Sunday evening services are at 6 p.m. On Wednesday, we meet at 6 p.m. for our weekly Bible study along with our immersive student and children's ministries. Find out more at www.fbcap.net or give us a call at 863-453-6681. You can email us at info at fbcap.net. We'd love to connect with you soon. This is part of our current Sunday morning sermon series, Look and Live, Life and Light in the Gospel of John. John, for quite some time, looking at uh, the life and ministry, the idea of looking and, and seeing who Jesus is, who he really is, and living. And we're here at John chapter 19, we're beginning a uh, and look at his crucifixion. So take your Bible, John 19, and we'll begin reading there in verse 16 uh, through verse 30. And we're going to be looking at the crucifixion of Christ. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> Just walking through, uh, looking at that, looking at uh, the walk, the inscription, this idea of this garment that has been um, taken off of his body and lots are casting for his mother. But we're going to pay close attention to the last few verses of this section. And there's much to be gathered as we look at his words. So let's turn, if you will, to John chapter 19, beginning there in verse 16. So he, being Pilate, so he delivered him over to them to be crucified. And so they took Jesus and he went out, bearing his own cross to the place called the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. And there they crucified him with two others, one on either side, and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription, and he put it on the cross, and it read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Aramaic and Latin and Greek. And so the chief priest of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am the king of the Jews. And Pilate answered and said, What I have written, I have written. And when the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and they divided them into four parts, one part for each of the soldier, also his tunic, his inner garment, but the tunic was seamless, woven in one place from top to bottom. And so they said to one another, let's not tear it, but let's cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. And this will fulfill the scripture which says, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. That is Psalm twenty-two, eighteen. So the soldiers did these things. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved, which we assume is John, when Jesus saw this disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. 
And then he said to his disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour the disciple took her to his own home. And after this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. And a jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and they held it to his mouth. And when Jesus had received this sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for Calvary. We thank you for those marvelous words. It is finished. Lord, I pray that each and every one of us can individually look in our own hearts and mind this morning and ask ourselves whether we have truly embraced that finished work. Do we truly know you as our Lord and our Savior? Have we repented of our sin and placed our faith in you? Have we come to the point of our life that we realize that you did what we could never do and you paid the ultimate price for our sin so that we may live? And that you finished that day on that cross for the guilt of the sin of man. And so, Lord, allow us to be free from all the distractions and the worry and the cares of today. And let us get real and get serious with you and who we are before you. And this we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, you may be familiar that there's the, the Gospels, the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Kind of a technical word for Matthew, Mark, and Luke is what we call the synoptic Gospels and written around the same time frame and the same point. And they're, they're looking at it in the life of Jesus from, from different perspectives to different audiences. And so there are different nuances and things that take place in those Gospels. John was written later, would have been aware of the Gospels, I believe, and so even as we look at the narrative of the cross, there, there are many things that may John did not touch on. It does not mean that John did not think they happened, but John was writing for another reason. The synoptic Gospels focus much on the, the suffering and the agony of Christ and, and what he went through and what he endured on the cross. John doesn't focus on that. In John's gospel, we see a Jesus Christ who is absolutely in control of the moment and of the day. And we see a Jesus Christ that is on the cross and the agony and the suffering and the beaten body and, and the ridicule is not the focus of what Christ is doing on the cross, but it's those last words that John wants us to hear. 
The focus in John's gospel on the cross of Jesus Christ is one of deity and one of majesty and one of glory. And John's focus is on those last words where Jesus says, It is finished. And all week as I studied and I read the the scripture and I took Matthew, Mark, Luke and I laid it beside John and I studied John and I continued to read the, the other gospels and the agony and the beating and the suffering and all that took place and and we initially we read that and we we we're saddened and we look at that and we we think about Christ and all that he went through. Let me tell you what God did in my heart this week. When I looked at the suffering and the mockery and the beatings and the blood and the crown of thorns and unable to carry his cross and the the beating and the ridicule on the cross, I thought about me and the weight of my depravity and sin. That Jesus did that because of sin and for no other reason. When we think about the sin and we think about the cross, we sing about it, we believe it, we understand it. He did that for us. He he paid a debt we could not pay. He did something that we could never do on our own. And what that meant was my sin. I'm afraid we live in a world today that we're making so much light of sin that sin's not even discussed in the gospel anymore. The gospel has become, believe in Jesus, great things will happen, let go, let God, just just come to Christ and you'll be blessed for all eternity. Well, part of that is true if you look at it from the context of Scripture. My sin. And the ugliness of sin and the weight of my sin and the condemnation that falls upon that sin. That is why Jesus died on the cross. For sin. What is wrong with the world today? Is it political? Is it economical? Is it environmental? No. It's a sin problem. It is the ugliness and the weight of a human being that is incapable of coming into the presence of a holy, righteous, loving God and being filled with the righteousness and the glory of that Lord and being adopted into the family of God through the cross of Jesus Christ. That is the issue with the world. And the only remedy for that problem is the cross of Jesus Christ. That there is a a holy, righteous, loving God that died on the cross because of the sinfulness of man. And because of the sinfulness and the weight of the sin that is upon us, he sent his only begotten son that was without sin. And he lived that perfect life. And he died that death on a cross. And he cried out, it is finished, that whosoever believes, whoever repents and places their faith in Christ may be born again. But if we never get to the point of sin, we never can get to the cross. 
It is so much more than an intellectual decision that I believe in this Jesus, so therefore I am going to heaven. It is about I need this Jesus because I am a wretched sinner in need of salvation. That's what I thought about all week. And then you just feel so unworthy, even though you know that you're redeemed, to preach about the cross. Let's walk through it. And let's focus on those last words. Verses 16 through 18, his walk to the cross. And we see that he would have been carrying the, the cross beam. Now, sometimes we see a picture of, a, of Jesus and he's, he's dragging the cross behind him. That would have not have been the case. We don't know exactly. We just go by what history teaches us. But there would have been a cross beam that he would have been carrying. Mark reminds us that he could not carry it. And Simon had to take the cross and carry it for him because he was so beaten and bloodied. And physically he was exhausted. But he took this crossbeam and he, he left the city and he went to this hill called Mount Calvary, the place of the skull in Golgotha, and he went there. And the crossbeam, the horizontal crossbeam he would have had, and this vertical beam would have probably been there and been planted there. And it is there that they laid him on his back upon that crossbeam, and he would have nailed his hands or his wrist area to that crossbeam, and they would have raised that crossbeam up and attached it to that vertical post and they would have nailed that post on that post and then they would have taken his feet and they'd have nailed his feet in that other cross beam and there'd have been a little step right up under his feet that he could have propped his feet on and they would have driven a nail through that you might be sitting there thinking like I did well that's nice they put a little step on there for him no it wasn't nice at all without that little step there he'd have died a lot sooner but what made the Roman cross such a horrific place to die was that little step allowed him to live even longer. And without that little step, he wouldn't have been able to, to raise up on his feet and to fill his lungs with air. He would have suffocated very quickly. But that is what the agony of the cross was, that every gasp of air took every bit of effort you had in your beaten body. Naked beaten and bloodied. Now you think about that for a second. Could you imagine a scene right out of town, right up the mall, we'll, we'll, right up the mall, right there at the corner of the marathon in that area. Could you imagine having a little spot where crucifixion would take place and you would ride by there and they'd say, well, there, there are the three criminals naked out in full display for everyone to see and to mock. That's your sin right there. That's what Jesus did. And I thought about that, and I thought a number of people that just play around with Christianity. I'm saved, but it doesn't change my life. I'm saved, but why live like a Christian? I'm saved, but I'm going to live like the debauchery of the world that I live in. I'm going to live out in the world, and I'm going to walk into church on Sunday morning. I'm going to amen the singing and the preaching and, and think about Easter and Christmas and all the holidays, but I'm just living in the world. 
what hypocrisy that Jesus Christ made that walk for your sin and so many people that claim to be Christians are still living in that sin and they've never come to that place called Calvary then there's this inscription John is the only one I, I, I love looking at things in this detail you pick up on nuances John is the only one that talks about the uh, dialogue between the Jews and, and Pilate but you remember from last week Pilate was the one uh, that we learned more about Pilate's conversation than all the other gospels John was intuitive what was going on he could see what was going on in Pilate's life and so Pilate knew that Christ was innocent but he wouldn't stand on truth and he came to the world and he sent Jesus over to be crucified, but wanting to torment the Jewish leaders, he said, well, I'm going to show them. You wanna, I'm going to hurl an insult in them. They want him to be crucified because he claims to be the king of the Jews. I'm not going to say here's one who claims to be the king of the Jews. I'm going to put on the cross, he is the king of the Jews. And just to be sure everybody got it, I'm going to write it in Aramaic so the Jews can read it, the king of the Jews. I'm going to write it in Greek so the common people can see it, the king of the Jews. I'm going to write it in Latin so the, religion, the, the Roman government can understand this is the king of the Jews. Religious leaders being religious leaders. Religious leaders always hate the truth. False religion always hates the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You want, to, you want to find out where false religion is? Stand up and preach the biblical gospel of Jesus Christ. False religion will always contradict the gospel of Jesus Christ. If I stand in a public government arena and I start preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, somebody's going to say, now wait a minute, you can't preach that gospel. That's not for everybody. No, that's what the Jews said. You want to see where false religion is? Start preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ found in Scripture. And that which is opposed to it is false religion. Pilate did have enough guts to be able to say, I'm not taking it down. We have his walk. We have his inscription. But even in that inscription, if you will, look at Roman, John, excuse me, John chapter 12. Listen to John chapter 12. Jesus himself said in John chapter 12, we read this last week again, now is the judgment of the world, now will the ruler of this world be cast out, John 12, 32. And when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show, but what kind of death he was going to die. In the walk, he is God in the flesh. In his inscription, he is God in the flesh. When they raised that cross beam up to that vertical beam, and they went up there and they nailed that inscription on that beam, it was fulfilling exactly what God had intended to happen. Here is Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Verses 23 and 24, we see his garments. We read scripture and we say, well, why in the world? Well, I, I think it's kind of encouraging to me to see these 
quote unquote insignificant details. It lets you know exactly what was going on. This really was a real event. And we see the, the soldiers and they, they take his garments and they divide up his garments. And there would have been this inner garment that would have been a one seamless piece of fabric that would have gone against his skin. And, and the outer garments would have been outside that. And so it was the right of the executioners to take anything they wanted from the executee. Now, I thought about this. There must not have been a whole lot of, of clothing going around if you would want the clothing of a man that had been beaten and bled. What an insignificant detail that these Roman soldiers are casting lots over a seamless garment. Can I remind you it's not insignificant at all? In the book of Psalms, we see there in verse 24, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Let me tell you what is so remarkable to me about Old Testament prophecy, especially from the, the, the time of David. The, there was no crucifixion in the time of David. There was no idea. He, he's not just saying something based on what he's seeing. God's prophecy is so sovereign and prophetic. That makes sense. God's prophecy is so prophetic. It is so truthful. It is so real. It is so powerful. David is casting a prophecy of something that was going to happen that he had never seen happen before. When the Messiah comes, they will cast lots over his garments. When the real David, the real Adam comes. And the crazy thing about that, you would have had these little religious zealots and they would have had their little law over there and they surely would have realized, I think I've seen this before. Even in the casting of lots of the garments of our Savior, God is letting us know who He is. He is God. in a way that only John can. In verse 25, we see his mother. Now, don't miss this. We, we have Jesus on the cross, beaten, death, near death. They're casting lots over his clothing. He's there naked, and he sees his, his mother. What a great picture of the great shepherd. And he looks at his mother and he looks at John. And he says, behold my son. Behold my mother. He would have been worried about her care, worried about her well-being. But we see in the midst of the cross, the great shepherd. We know that John would have taken his mother and the word says it would have taken him as his own. Verse 28, after this, I mean, I think about who he is and 
He is fulfilling scripture. Every, everything he is doing is exactly what was supposed to be done. God using the, the hands of government like a puppet. That's why I always tell everybody, chill out when you watch Fox News and CNN. Okay? The rulers and the kings and the leaders of this world are puppets in the hand of a sovereign God. There is not one thing that will take place outside of his care, his provision, his sovereignty, and his providence. Y'all say that, but y'all don't believe it. Every, every election, every four years, y'all say that, you don't believe it. You run to the hills like heads with your chickens with their head cut off. What in the world are we going to do? You know what I tell people when they do that? You need to get saved is what you need to do because you're acting like a lost person and you're putting your hope in things that you should never put your hope in. Some of y'all were fretting over things you don't need to be fretting over. You're trusting in the ways of the world and your might and what your ability is and what your care can do and what you have control over and that is, that is not what the Lord is all about. I jokingly talk about the end times because people get so wound up about it and I, I don't have a chart on the end times. I don't have the, the I'm not a dispensationalist guru John Jack Van Impey watching pull out my, my business card size chart of when the Lord's coming back because I don't, I don't have any control over that but I do know this he's coming back if he comes back this afternoon the unregenerate when you come to Bible study just do what you want to do I'm not going to be here I do know he's coming back But I know more than that he's coming back that only God knows when he's coming back. Only God knows who's going to be president and who's not going to be president. Only God knows how we vote with our heart and how we don't vote with our heart. Only God knows these things. None of these things caught God off guard. God was not on vacation and came back and Gabriel had messed all this up. Every minute detail of what is taking place is a fulfillment of these words. And after this, knowing Jesus, knowing all was finished. Now think about that phrase. He looks around. He's on the cross. His mother's taken care of. They're casting for his garments. All the prophecies have been filled. Everything that has been said has become true. All the sermons and discourses he has shared has been come to light. And he is on the cross, head held high. And he says, now all is finished. Everything I came to do from Genesis chapter 1, and he will be want to cry out, Satan, I'm fixing to crush your head. It is now finished. And he shares these last two phrases. One, I thirst. 
There are many things you could look at in Scripture and talk about the wine and the hyssop and the significance of that and what that represents. I'm going to take a real practical approach to that. Yes, it is a fulfillment of Scripture when he says that he thirsts and he takes the wine and the hyssop branch and the Old Testament usage of these things, but I'm not even concerned about that. You know what I think is going on here? Jesus said, give me something to drink because I want you to hear what I'm about to say. In the midst of all that he endured on that cross. The moment that he was sitting in that little manger when he was born. Everything pointed to this phrase. And they took that soured wine and that hyssop branch and they took that sponge and they, they put it to his lips and, and the other gospels talk about even that was a sense of mockery and they took that and even that was a fulfillment of scripture in Psalm 69, 21 and he took that wine and he put it up to his lips and he says, I thirst. And then he said, when he had received that sour wine, he said, verse 30, it is finished. I love the way that that is written in the Greek. To telestai. To telestai. I've seen younger folks, not that older folks don't have tattoos, but younger folks are just more creative with it. If you start looking at Christian folks' as tattoos, you'll start noticing things like this written on their arm. To telestai. I had a weird conversation in the bathroom over Hebrew on a gentleman's arm. He was so impressed I knew Hebrew. I was so impressed he loved Jesus. To telestai. It is finished. Joy asked me today, I'm going to put Joy on the spot. Joy said, you're dressed kind of casual for crucifixion Sunday. You know why I'm dressed so casual on crucifixion Sunday? It's a great day to be a believer. These aren't my morning clothes. These are my hooping and hollering clothes. It is finished. I like to pick on my Catholic friends. Catholics are just easy to pick on because they get so many things wrong. My Jesus isn't on the cross anymore because it's finished. To test a lie. Mission accomplished. Paid in full. It's done. The word conveys a, a receipt that would have been passed in the, in, the, in the marketplace in this culture. It would have been very clear what he would say. I, I did, sometimes I just get so, my imagination, there are so many great benefits to being ADD all the time. Can you imagine standing around as a Jewish leader around the cross and hear somebody say, paid in full. What did you do? What? What's he talking about? Paid. What's paid in full? He didn't say, oh, this is what it does not mean. Thank goodness this is over. 
That's what the Jewish leaders would have wanted to hear. It didn't mean, praise the Lord, finally back to heaven. Think about it. Finally, I'm back at the right hand of the Father. I'm glad this is over with. Some of us look at our suffering that way. Well, if I could just get through this, boy, one more, it's finally over. Not to Jesus. To Telestai is in the perfect tense. I'm going to dazzle you with some Greek. Now I understand why it costs so much. When I was in, every, every Greek professor tells you this. Whenever you're preaching and teaching, don't ever mention Greek words. Just, just tell them what it means in English. And I was like, well, then why you charge so much to take the class if I can never, never tell anybody I took it? Tetelestai is in the perfect tense. Think about that if you know anything about English. In the perfect tense. It means it's something that happened in the past, but it never stops. Tetelestai happened in the past, and it is finished today, tomorrow, and for all eternity. What Jesus did on the cross then means the same thing today. When he died on the cross that day and paid the debt that day, it was the only debt that needed to be paid for all eternity. There is no other way, only Jesus Christ. There is no other God, only Jesus Christ. There has never been another human being die in the perfect tense. I think I said that in Greek class one time. They said, well, I understand what you're saying, but it doesn't make sense. But it preaches good. He's the only one. Share that at lunch tomorrow at work. Do you know that that is in the perfect tense to tell us die? It emphasizes the past completed event of Christ's death on the cross. That means it has ongoing, even permanent effects. Jesus' sacrifice may have occurred in time and space, but its results will last for all eternity. It does not mean my suffering is over. It does not mean my life of struggling is over. And from Jesus' perspective, it does not mean I finally get to go home. No, this is what it means. It is a cry of victory and completion. It is a cry of fulfillment. It is a cry that's saying, let me sign that ticket because it's paid in full. This is what Jesus is saying. I have fulfilled what I said I came to do. I came to save that which was lost. I came to give new life and give it more abundantly. I came to make right that which was wrong. I came to open blind eyes. I came to, to raise the dead. I came to do what no one else could do. No other law could do. No other sacrifice could do. I did what no one else can do and I paid the price that none of us could ever pay. You may be in here this morning and looking at morality and your works and your church attendance. You may be visiting with us for the very first time and this is the first time you've ever been to church. There's no moral good enough in you to pay the price that Jesus paid. You are absolutely hopeless and helpless and depraved until you understand what Christ has done for you. It is finished.
I'm not a big quoter, but I want to share a couple of quotes. In my studies, I came across a couple of these things. I thought they were good. Tetelestai is not a weak, fallen man type response to the circumstances. No, it's a, it's a cry of victory. It is a declaration on the part of the divine redeemer that all for which he came from heaven to do was now done. That all for which he was needful to reveal, all that was needful to reveal, don't miss this, all for which was needful to reveal the glorious character of God had now been accomplished. That everything necessary for the putting away of the sins of his people, providing for them a perfect standing before God, securing for them an eternal inheritance and fitting them for it had all been done. Securing an eternal, eternal inheritance. And notice it, and fitting it for them had all been done. To telestai, it may, means to make an end of. It made an end of our sins and our guilt. To telestai means to be paid for. He paid the price of our redemption. To telestai means was performed and completed. The utmost requirement of God's law is done. Those are the words from A.W. Pink. And then my favorite Baptist preacher of all times. C.H. Spurgeon said these words they're like an ocean of meaning in the drop of language a mere drop to tell us that it would need all other words that have ever been spoken or ever can be spoken to explain this one word to tell us that it is altogether immeasurable. It is high. I cannot obtain it. It is deep. I cannot fathom it. It is finished is the most charming note in all of Calvary's music. The fire has passed upon the lamb. He has borne the whole wrath, the whole of the wrath that was due to his people. Listen to these last words. This is the royal dish of the feast of love. To Telestai. It is finished. Then verse 30. He bowed his head. And he gave up his spirit when we pass our spirit is taken and we bow our head Jesus bowed his head he said it is finished and he gave up his spirit for my sin for your sin for no other reason than redemption 
to make something right. It's a reconciliation to put things back in order. God looked over humanity and he said, there's a problem between me and man. And that problem is the original sin from Adam and each individual that has ever been born. And God looked out from heaven and he sent his perfect sacrifice, his son, God in the flesh, to pay the debt for my sin, a debt I could never pay. There's not enough works, there's not enough morality, there's not enough knowledge, there's not enough anything in you to do what Jesus Christ did on that cross. And he sent his son and his son said, Father, it's finished. I lived this perfect life and died exactly when and where and how I was supposed to for their guilt. And he gave up his spirit. If we think back to John's gospel over and over and over, he looks into the hearts of men and women and he says, come to the living water. Come and partake the bread of life. Come to the great shepherd. But we can only come we realize our depravity, the ugliness and the horrendous aspect of our sin and then the glory of understanding what Jesus will do with that sin to tell us die it is over it is finished it is perfect let's stand as we pray Lord we thank you for those words the magnitude of those words this morning. As we sing a hymn of the church, as we sing about your blood this morning, for those that are yours, let us sing a hymn of reverent, worshipful, joyous victory. Lord, if there's anyone here today that does not know you as their personal Lord and Savior, they have never repented of their sin and placed their faith in you, I pray that even as we sing as the body of Christ, as believers sing, that there would be those here this morning that would realize that today is the day they need to repent of that sin, place their faith in you, and be gloriously saved. And Lord, as we as the church sing today, Maybe there are many of us here today that as Christians we have gotten so far away from your holiness and your goodness and your righteousness. As we sing, let us thank you for the Spirit convicting us this morning. And even as we sing, let us ask for your forgiveness of those sin and let us enter back into the joy of our salvation. But as we sing this morning, let us consider these things. And this we pray in Christ's name. Amen.